0: Hello, and welcome to Wands & Fronds, the weekly podcast that covers magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick.
1: And I'm Shannon.
0: And we are your co-hosts, and today I'll be talking about magic for emotional healing.
1: Nice, nice. And I'm going to be talking about Lemon Balm, and I'm really looking forward to the deity profile this week too, because I'm going to be covering Chiron, and I think there's some really interesting learning ahead of us as far as that wonderful centaur is concerned.
0: Oh my goodness. Uh, Yes, and uh, I know that we were texting a bit about this as part of the planning phase for this episode, and I have learned a lot about my personal Chiron placement, um, because it wasn't something I really have ever focused on in my own astrological chart. Uh, Chiron, of course, being the name of... What, is a comet an asteroid?
1: Um, it's a It's a comet. But we'll, we're going to talk about the we're placements about too, well, which I think is great because it's, it's really cool because this is one, and I don't think it always works out this way. But I feel like Chiron is one of those where the story of Chiron actually really relates to its use in astrological placements, which is, I think, at least kind of unique because that's not always the case.
0: Right. I, and But also, we really got called out. When we were looking at our own of yes. placement, so yeah, it um, was really
1: rude, and um' I'm gonna like dish on the way that I was personally read by this like comet uh when we get there because I'm still like feeling that burn honestly
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but i'm I'm coming up coming up first here with uh magic for emotional healing, so kind of diving in uh there was a lot to go over with this topic, Uh, but before doing that, I would be remiss if I didn't encourage everyone who hasn't done so already to listen to our episode about shadow work. Uh, For reference, that is our third full episode after the intro. Uh, Fitting, I think, to give a little shout out that this is our 30th episode. Um, But if you need more of a deep dive on shadow work, please check it out because we're going to touch on it but there's a lot more good info in that episode um that's already recorded so yeah uh, if you've made I, it, it's it would be weird if you started listening to a podcast at episode 30 so maybe you've already listened to it uh,
1: <laughs> maybe and i do love that this is our 30th episode um and we're talking all about emotional healing because we're both turning 30 this year it's already happened for you but I feel like Saturn return it, it's rude
0: of you to it's rude of you to just say that.
1: I apologize but also I'm
0: 26.
1: I Right. Nick had the, what, fifth anniversary of your 26th birthday? Fourth anniversary of Fourth your 26th birthday. birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like Saturn return season is also, it's like a lot of emotional healing seems to be happening for both of us, I think, during our Saturn return, which is really, I think has been a really nice, you know, side effect of all of the other upset that's happening with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's uh, it's literally a double-edged sword.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh,
0: Like, you know, maybe that's where that term comes from. Because as a metaphor, at least, I mean, sure, there are swords out there with two edges. But uh, as a metaphor, my goodness, a Saturn return is very much a double edged sword. Um, Totally. But so the unofficial theme of this episode is Mother's Day, which was yesterday. And I had worked brunch yesterday. And, um, you know, we were all kind of in mind of mom stuff, and while I'm sure most of you have great relationships with your moms, a lot of people carry major generational trauma and even PTSD from their parents. So, naturally, when we were planning this episode, we eventually found ourselves talking about the mother wound and various magical ways to go about facilitating a emotional healing. Uh, so, as always, this is such a Virgo podcast. I mean, we really just... The Virgo energy is high. Uh, (laughs) I feel that I must mention that I do go to therapy every single week, religiously, and that has gone such a long way towards making me feel able to deal with my personal traumas and live with more confidence. So as always, please keep doing what you're doing in the mainstream realm of healing. Uh, And this is in no way some kind of pushy, Scientology style anti-medical propaganda. Oh, um,
1: totally. And we're our QWP this week is also directly relating to that. So, like we are huge proponents of seeing your therapist. I also have weekly therapy appointments, talking to your psychiatrist if you need to do it. These are this is like very much a both and type of situation and, for us. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, but there is there's so much that is good in our community and our way of doing things that does help with healing trauma. So I definitely encourage anyone who's struggling to try because that's all we can do. Um, And so I'm going to start with some bad news and probably one of my biggest takeaways from traditional therapy. Uh, The bad news, of course, being that you'll probably never get rid of your emotional baggage completely, but that's okay. Uh, I'm only saying that to also say that that shouldn't be your goal. Uh, So what we can do is sort of unpack our emotional baggage and make it lighter. Uh, We can work towards having those things fit into the lives we have and the lives that we want. Um, And that's a totally achievable goal, but trauma changes you forever. Yep. Yep. Surviving trauma and coming out on the other side a stronger person is a permanent thing. So some things will be with us for life. Uh, but time is an incredible salve for trauma. And when you've been through something recently, it feels so overwhelming. But even just time makes things easier. So, you know, unclench your jaw and breathe a little bit. Okay. Uh, Yeah,
1: I think that's like such a good disclaimer because at the end of the day, we also wouldn't want to completely remove all of our emotional baggage because, you know, it's like we don't all want to be like Barbie dolls, you know, totally plastic, full, like free of any emotion or any like bumps and blemishes, like that is the human experience, which is part of what makes us able to do magic and be witches. And so it's okay to want it to feel better and feel lighter and to work through incorporating it in ways that aren't harmful. But just, you know, don't get it in your head that someday you're going to be able to put all of your baggage down and you're going to be wild and free like the girls wearing white pants in the tampon commercials. Like that's just not real life
0: it's i mean and such a good call out for that because it's like yeah not real life um and i would say and this is kind of one of those things maybe this is even sort of a toxic opinion uh let us know what you think but i feel like i connect more with people that that have trauma because it it really does lend people more humanity like an empathy
1: yeah, I think it's probably like, as kids that went through so much trauma.
0: Yes, you know, yes, just, yes, and it's yeah. like I just I just I, you know, it's um I'm not saying that it's like bad to have not done it or that like we couldn't be friends. I just, you know, like the people that I sort of click with, yeah. a lot of them end up having trauma. And it's like, "Oh, that's why you make sense to me, person." <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I think that everybody experiences trauma on some level. And for me, it's it's really it's like the people that have experienced trauma and have been able to move through it and incorporate it are the people that I want to be around. You know, it's like people that maybe have been through stuff and want to push it down and pretend that nothing ever happened. And like, everything's just peachy. And they're grinning and smiling like a maniac all the time. Like, no. No, oh no, God. The, that's the, terrifying. The, youth,
0: the creepy youth pastor smile.
1: Oh, my God. Side hugs. Ugh. But yes, like the, exactly. Like the
0: permanent smile that doesn't quite reach your eyes.
1: Oh, it just makes me like my skin crawl.
0: It does. Okay. But oh, we're rabbit trailing. We are.
1: <laughs> like we do. Like um. <laughs> we do.
0: So I would say before attempting any kind of magic for emotional healing... You're going to have to do at least a little mundane-like work. Uh, So I would recommend doing some journaling. Journaling is so good. It's so good for you. Um, Meditate on your emotional states. You know, get to know what you're feeling. Because you're going to need to identify what is at the root of your trauma-based reactions And try to identify what makes up your shadow self as well. And, again, kind of look back on our episode about shadow work. Your shadow is not everything negative like some people think it's going to be. It's just part of you, you know? Yeah. It's the... It's like yin and yang, you know? Yeah. You, you can't have, have light. the
1: light without the dark. You
0: have light. You have darkness. It's all part of one thing. It's you. Um, yeah. And but, it's so, so important to find what works for
1: you, too, because it's like I, I do like journaling. But something I've really discovered about myself in the last year is that for me, like a regular yoga practice is what really helps me connect and figure out when I have trauma that's like sitting unresolved and my emotions are getting like bottled up because as you know as a coping mechanism I've become really good at like pushing everything down until it feels like I'm gonna just like weep on the yoga mat and so for me doing yoga regularly I get like Hints from my body when I'm like, oh, I'm in like pyramid pose and suddenly I'm feeling a little bit weepy. What's that about? So just like find the thing that works for you because everybody will be able to unlock something. And I think journaling and like meditation and yoga, those are three like amazing things to try if you haven't like figured out how to unbottle your own emotions.
0: Yeah. And I would say, you know, yoga is such a good recommendation, too, because these things can be very physical.
1: hmm. Yeah. Like, your body I, holds it.
0: I think especially, you know, as Virgo placements, uh, the tension. hmm. Because you're like, I'm not consciously going to be acknowledging these emotions and these feelings that I have. But all of the muscles in your neck and shoulders certainly are feeling that stress. Yeah, and your you... jaw. Oh my god! Please, everyone, take the time, unclench your jaw.
1: Oh god. Okay, this is a rabbit trail, but I feel like it's so relevant, and I've heard it pro- pronounced both gua sha and gua sa by different different Chinese practitioners. I think it probably has to depend. It depends on the region, but the facial massaging tools, um, where you do like the scraping massage. So I do that every night, and. I became so acutely aware of how much like tension I held in my jaw. I literally had knots in the muscles of my jaw when I first started doing this every night. And now it's like, I feel like a mess if I don't do it. And you can literally find these little scraping tools for like five bucks. They're really affordable, really easy to find. And holy shit, it's such a good mindfulness practice.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You literally are carrying so much tension in your jaw. That you don't even realize. Um, So just something to think about. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I would say even just getting things out on a page can be like a huge release. Totally. Uh, Something to be ready for. If you're like diving in to trying to like heal your own emotions. Like there's gonna be moments where you're like, why am I crying?
1: Um.
0: And so, you know, maybe not the thing to be journaling about at the coffee shop. <laughs> uh, if, yeah. if if weeping in public is not something that you're comfortable, I mean, I sur- at this point Saturn returns superpower alert. I'm just okay with crying anywhere these days. You know, um, <laughs> I used to kind of be like, I'm a I'm a private crier behind closed doors, but it's like on the bus, in a bar, at a coffee shop. Uh, If it's time to cry, it's time to cry. Uh, That's just me, though. I feel like it's healthy. Uh, um,
1: Hey, we all have to get through the day somehow.
0: (laughs) But so we definitely do go over a lot of that in the shadow work episode. uh, But, you know, I was saying earlier, not everything negative in your emotional world is going to be shadow. Uh, So, like, don't let the love and light bitches convince you that every non-happiness-based emotion is somehow toxic or part of your shadow, because that's really not true. It's a much more complicated thing than that. Um, But I would say, you know, things coming up like extreme jealousy or, like, very, very sharp mood swings um, for sort of minor situations, I would say poor boundary setting things that come up with shadow work Uh, because some people feel they don't, they don't feel confident to set boundaries, you know, or they don't want to acknowledge why they're upset about something. And so they're just having a mood swing and they're just pretending or suppress. They're suppressing the emotion so harshly that they're like, I don't know why I feel like shit. Leave me alone. Yep. You know,
1: I, I get real irritable. When I'm not dealing with stuff. And I think for a lot of people, you know, it's like, it's something that a lot of us learn very young as a way to protect ourselves. And so it's like, there's no judgment on this reaction, but this is like... this is is from
0: experience.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you're an adult now. And so it's like, you get to take control back. And Mm -hmm. now you get to learn to be better.
0: And I would say even just like identifying these traits in yourself... Gives you just an incredible opportunity to try to change how you can react to things, or like at least recognize that that gut reaction you have doesn't necessitate necessitate a reaction on your part. Yeah, um, and it so, doesn't
1: define who you are as a person. No, because and it's lots like ex- of us have learned to have bad gut reactions.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's um <laughs> it's ingrained into you by your trauma right yeah, uh, yeah so examine it for what it is try to move on mhm this is also going to be great non-magical relief but once you've done sort of the mundane pen and paper things you know you're 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 working on yoga you're journaling you're trying to identify your own shadow now we can move on to the magical side of things. So uh, I did have a, a spell that I found for relieving an emotional blockage. And I thought it was a great one. Uh, but credit where credit is due. This is from the Wiccan path on Tumblr. Uh, and we also have to give a shout out to Tumblr in general for just being a dumpster fire with some good hidden gems. Um, <laughs>
1: Nothing more accurate has ever been said about Tumblr.
0: <laughs> so, uh, credit where credit's due. Like I said, this is from the Wiccan Path on Tumblr, if you want to check them out. Uh so supply-wise, you will need a geode. I would I would also think like a big rock of salt would be fine here because geodes can be quite expensive, but a lot of uh wholesalers will have Big rocks of like Himalayan salt, which are a lot more affordable than a full geode. And this is kind of my little side note, where I'm like, use what you can, use yeah. what you can. But I, I, I did like this spell overall. Um, get a geode if you can, because I mean, if you actually live somewhere where you know these things can be found in the ground, um, you can buy like an uncracked, sort of like a rough geode at certain like bulk supply stores um or even online but if that is not available to you you know see what's gonna work you need something breakable though because the you know i don't want to give too much away uh but something you can crack with a hammer and which is why i said salt might be a good backup like a big rock of salt Mm -hmm. um so you're gonna need a geode black salt chalk a cleansed hammer So you could do smoke cleansing, you could do fluoride water, you could do uh, like a a moon cleansing, you know, put it out under the moon, like when you're doing your crystals. Uh, But you want to sort of ritualistically cleanse your hammer uh, and your basic circle casting materials, uh, whatever those are for you. Um, So we're making a shadow stone out of the geode. So the first step is to make the geode into the shadow stone. And this involves focusing on the stone and sort of imagining your trauma being manifested inside of it. And the outer geode will symbolize your emotional blockage. Um, So the outer shell is not allowing the trauma to pass. Um, We're not actually putting your trauma inside, just creating a projection or shadow of your pain. Uh, And it says to do this on the new moon, which actually I believe the new moon is today while we're recording, not while it's coming out. Um, So the next new moon. um, And you would continue to do this every night for an entire lunar month if you want the spell to be strong or if you feel like your emotional blockage is particularly strong. Uh, And if you don't have the time, one session works uh, on the new moon. Um, so when the lunar month has passed and the new moon has come again, it's time to perform the spell. So we're casting your basic circle, however you do that, and we're calling the elements or whatever guardian deities and spirits you want to aid you in your release, which I'm actually going to be talking a little bit about later on, uh, and make sure the circle is large because we're going to have to fit another one inside of it um so which is the one-way circle which is the circle made of black salt so black salt is very good at containing the strong negative energies while allowing the person casting the spell to send good energies in uh it's like a like a one-way mirror uh you know where you can see in they can't see out and you can put stuff in but it can't get back out um so um, we're going to use this circle to contain what ever negative energies are going to come pouring out. Uh, and if the trauma has been pushed down for a long time, removing the blockage will be like releasing a floodgate. So something to be ready for. Uh, and the one way circle is going to protect anyone or any tools that are nearby from kind of absorbing the negativity that's coming into the circle. Um, Especially if you're doing the spell with another person or with your coven. Because you don't want to give that energy to someone that you're working with. Yeah, that'd be rude. It would be rude. Uh, So creating the one-way circle, we're going to use chalk to draw a pentagram on the floor. And the pentagram is going to be used to keep the person protected in the circle. It is not necessary if you cannot do it. But uh, making it big enough for a person to comfortably sit in. And then you sit in the pentagram with your shadow stone and your hammer, and we're going to trace the pentagram circle with black salt. And you say something along these lines, uh, and it is recommended that you write your own words, which I am always a big fan of. Um, So here lies the one-way circle. No negative energy shall exit. Only the positive energy shall enter. The circle is sealed. Um, but maybe switching it up a little bit, writing your own version of that in your personal book of shadows will give a little spice to the spell. Um, so for the release portion of this, you're going to focus on your shadow stone and project your trauma inside of it. So we've we've worked on the outside. Now we're working on the inside and you say something again, along the lines of, I will move on from my past. I will not let myself be controlled by these negative emotions any longer. I will remove whatever blocks me from moving on. When the stone breaks, I release you. I release you. I release you. And then you break the stone with your hammer. And then you break down the circle, cleanse your space, and then bury your broken stone for another full lunar month. So we've gone from new moon to new moon. Now we're burying it till the next full moon to cleanse it, uh, and then dig it back up, display it on your altar as a reminder of your inner strength. Um, And I personally, I really like this spell, partially because um, it had a very poignant story about the writer's mother's PTSD and how it was creating this huge emotional blockage that she was really struggling with And her mother was really struggling with. So they had tried this particular spell to help alleviate it. And also it kind of drives the point home that the point isn't necessarily to erase your trauma, but make it easier to live with. Um, And we wouldn't be wands and fronds if we didn't go over some herbalism for this as well. Uh, I think maybe that's what we're known for. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Who knows? Someone else tell us what we're known for.
0: Right. Uh, but I think a popular (laughs) option for healing is naturally like an energetically cleansing bath. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like when you, when when I'm doing the research for this, I like to look at a lot of different sources, you know? So I'm looking at what the Pinterest witches have out. usually kind of skim that. There is some good stuff. It's kind of the same as Tumblr. It's very hit or miss. Um, you know, but I do look at the the Herbal Grimoire, which is one of my favorite websites for kind of seeing what herbs are going to be good for things. Um, And, you know, just even like Witchcraft Reddit groups sometimes have good stuff. But one thing that comes up time and time again is the the energetically cleansing bath. So we had written one up for self-love in our self-love magic episode, which had pink candles, Himalayan salt, rose quartz and sort of offered a selection of herbs for self-love specifically. And I think all of that is applicable here because a side effect of a lot of trauma has to do with how we see ourselves and how we speak about ourselves, like even in our own internal monologue. Um, So, you know, if we're calling on self-love, it's not going to be a bad thing here, but there are some additions that could really punch this up and, and boost up the healing aspects of it as well. Uh, Sage, top of the list. Uh, Great here because of its strong purifying qualities. But as always, we would steer clear of white sage, especially if you're not a Native American. Uh, You can get raw culinary sage
1: very easily. My new favorite that I just planted in my little herb garden, uh, tricolor sage. It's got purple in it. (laughs)
0: which sounds lovely and yeah i mean uh you can grow your own sage uh and that's even better but what we're not gonna tell you to do is go out and buy a bundle of white sage from um the crystal shop or the head shop or really anyone unless you're a native american because it's
1: you all know better now
0: (laughs) you all know better um rosemary which is a relative of sage, as we now know as well, uh, is also great here because it also has strong associations with memory. So trauma is very strongly associated with memories. Um, So this could be a great thing to use as an incense, perhaps during your journaling slash shadow work sessions. Just a thought. Um, and so I'm gonna let Shannon do the heavy lifting on lemon balm's incredible properties. But it came up so many times. I had to put it on my list as well because <laughs> lemon balm no, that's fair. is so strongly tied to emotional healing. I mean, if you're gonna do like a tea or a bath or something with herbs, and you're looking specifically at emotional healing, lemon balm's gonna come up a bunch. But again, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that one to you because you have mm-hmm. a whole lemon balm thing going on (laughs) uh but peppermint also has healing energy and while it's more usually associated with like physical healing uh using it in this way either fresh or as an essential oil is a great way to facilitate the emotional healing as well (sighs) and i kind of talk about that with the deities because there's a lot of deities that are associated with like battle wounds Mm, love that. And I think sometimes these traumas can, I mean, it's reminiscent of battle wounds, the way you have to heal them. Oh, yeah. And the kind of care that it takes. So, I mean, if something has that kind of association, it would also, you know, it's kind of an either-or situation, I feel.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think so. And just to, like, pop back to peppermint real quick, I mean, one of the things about trauma is, like, where you hold it in your body. And, man, is peppermint so good for tense muscles? hmm Ugh.
0: And headaches.
1: Yeah, I'm obsessed. I use peppermint oil all the damn time.
0: Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's a heavy lifter Oh, yeah. in, like, an <laughs> herbalist's, you know, medicine bag.
1: Uh,
0: but I, I did want to talk a little bit about deities. Yeah, that sort of come to mind if you are so inclined to seek spiritual assistance on this path of emotional healing. And I would say emotional healing is something that everyone needs help with. Yeah. So this is a time to lean on whatever help you can get. So I had some suggestions. I would say the Celtic goddess uh, Hermes... I hope I'm saying that right. We we re- we don't get corrections on our bad Celtic, the way we yeah. should. Because if someone out there knows, and is not correcting us, um, <laughs> um but overseas herbalism and healing, so a natural choice for the Wands and Friends podcast listeners out there, uh, and so while traditionally seen as a healer for warriors after a battle, I. Do feel like for many this will be the biggest metaphorical battle that they will face in their lifetime, and worthy of the invocation. And fun fact: uh, in the Celtic mythology, uh, Erith—I really hope I'm saying that correctly—knows um, everything about herbalism, but she's the only one. So everyone, everyone else has to figure it out because. She, she had like a magical cloak that ha- was made of all the herbs. And then when it was sc- sort of broken and spread car- apart throughout the world, she's the only one who remembers. And we all just kind of have to figure it out. Um, so, <laughs>
1: sounds like my kind of lady.
0: Sounds like a really cool lady. Uh, I think <sighs> Artemis would also be good here.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say
0: I'm thinking Artemis, though, because of her strong ties to transitional phases of life. Uh, And I would say it might be a bit of a stretch, but I think her associations with, like, childbirth resonates here as doing this kind of work often signifies a kind of rebirth.
1: Yeah. Well, I like that. Plus, Artemis was one of the uh, very close tutors of Chiron, so ties into another part of the episode today.
0: And we love it. Uh, Brigid also Mm. has strong ties to healing and wellness, as well as hearth magic. And I would say this is a good one because, as witches, we cannot tend to our own hearths without tending to our own hearts. Oh man! And somebody, I,
1: somebody needs to like what make a little cross stitch of that for you. Yeah,
0: I think that would be lovely on a pillow if anyone's interested. <laughs> uh, and then we had.
1: Oh, I was going to say in two, um I, I see that she's not on here. ISIS could also be a good one.
0: ISIS, I I thought was, I was on the fence with ISIS. I did have um Panacea at the mm-hmm. end, um who was you know kind of like a goddess of medicine, but then Panacea is like a cure all.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or it's like um. I think it's like the like they you know kind of adapted it to Latin and then in like old medical texts like a panacea as a cure all and so just yeah. kind of someone that they would call on when anyone was sick but I totally. think healing is healing and that's kind of my yeah. thing with with the 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 deities I did pick I was like healing is healing
1: Yeah I just popped I would just suggest Isis might be another one to look into just yeah. because of her ties to like you know being nurturing and mothering so in particular if maybe like a mother wound is the trauma like isis mm. i think could be an interesting one to work with there because she does have that like super maternal caring energy towards people
0: yeah and yeah. also i mean kind of out of left field and like maybe not even really what people would consider a deity but the moon
1: oh yeah 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 i mean i work with her for everything but definitely for (laughs) emotional healing
0: it's like you know and that's kind of where my practice exists is like i think the moon is a goddess like and so sometimes it's like generically just the moon is someone that you work with uh in that way um And yeah, so, and it's so much to cover. I mean, really, this would be, like, a three-hour long episode, and I could just go on and on and on, and, like, a lot of the herbs that I talked about would be good for dressing candles, and a lot of the deities that I talk about would be good for, like, doing specific rituals with, to, like, call them in.
1: Yeah, I think at some point, maybe we'll do, like, a part two, (laughs) because there's so much.
0: Part two, part three, part, you know, this could be, like, our are like rice wizards from
1: right. <laughs> any, any week we, uh, any week we're having a bit of a, a tough time coming up with a new topic. Y'all are going to just start getting new emotional healing episodes. So yeah,
0: I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll okay. So forever. I was, I was excited to read this uh for the, for the QWP this week.
1: Yes. Um, because wow. Spiritual bypassing. So I really wanted to use this, as our QWP this week, because I feel like spiritual bypassing has become sort of like a buzz phrase that gets thrown around a lot. And, Often, I think, without good context, and sometimes people are also just using it incorrectly. um And it's it's one of those things where I feel like, you know, like a goop gets a hold of something, and then suddenly it gets proliferated into all the like wellness corners of the internet, which sometimes do cross over with the witchcraft corners. Wait and a then minute, we you're not going
0: stuff. on the goop cruise, Shannon?
1: I am not because fuck goop. Um, <laughs> Anyway, Nick and I just had a great like fun little text conversation about Gwyneth Paltrow like getting all uh, emotional about how hard the fucking quarantine was on her and she ate bread and I was just like, fuck, fuck this woman. She is remarkably disconnected from like anything in the real world, but
0: I I, I thought it was so <sighs> funny and I'm just going to hop in here to say that the funniest i mean and it was like funny because it's not a joke and it was one of those where it's like when you laugh at a funeral but it was yeah. like they had posted the link to the article and it's like gwyneth paltrow ate bread over quarantine what was your low point point? and every <laughs> other comment on it was like the love of my life died of covid and i had to watch it through a facetime call yeah, uh, and
1: and she's like, I and, ate carbs. Ew. She's like, I ate
0: bread. Okay, I'm
1: just like you, the proletariat. <laughs> anyway, but so I think spiritual bypassing though has kind of been gooped by the internet a mm. little bit. Um, so I just kind of wanted to to bring it in and like talk about where it came from. So, in his classic book, Toward a Psychology of Awakening, John Wellwood, who was a very well known like. Buddhist practitioner as well as um, a psychologist, he defines spiritual bypassing as using, and I quote, spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal, emotional, unfinished business to shore up a shaky sense of self or to belittle basic needs, feelings, and developmental tasks. So the goal of such practices, he says, was enlightenment. So the foundation of spiritual bypassing is basically like avoidance and repression. And for some people, spirituality is the way that they use to like rise above or like handle the shaky ground beneath And so when you're using your spiritual practice to compensate for challenging traits, you know, things like low self-esteem, social isolation, other emotional issues, things that might be part of your shadow self, Wellwood says that those people are corrupting the actual use of the spiritual practice. And I can't agree more. You know, it's like, in other words, using these practices to cover up problems seems like an easy way out as opposed to working on the actual issues and the ideology of the challenges. So in witchcraft terms, like this is when you're avoiding shadow work and you try to get around the tough stuff by like sticking to the surface, like the love and light stuff, like, oh, it's fine. I don't need to deal with the monsters under the bed because look at how pretty my shams are. Like that's, that's not how... <laughs> being a human effectively works, you know. So I think a lot of us probably know people Or, you know, in my case, I've been this person before, you know, people who run away from their problems by going on a retreat or like picking up a new type of meditation practice or a new divination tool. And even though you might feel like enlightened or they might feel enlightened for a little bit of a time, they're eventually like triggered by these same issues that sent them on the journey in the first place. Because all that like fear and confusion and the drama and all of the pain is like still where they left it. And nothing's really been accomplished. And this is something that I know personally, like firsthand, I've been guilty of doing this a lot in my early 20s in particular. Um, And I think it's important to note that like Christianity, like modern evangelical Christianity very much encourages spiritual bypassing in a way that is like toxic and dangerous and encourages things like me getting off of all of my medication because I just needed to love Jesus the right way. So, Wellwood also notes, and I think this is just really important though that anger can be seen as like an empty emotion or it's a wave that arises in the ocean of consciousness often without meaning and I don't think that's always true, but I think that this sometimes can be the case, and you're gonna know when it's when it's the case with you, and this feeling can also sort of lead to this spiritual bypassing right like Anger in this form often does stem stem from repressed emotions that haven't been addressed and it becomes really overwhelming. And that's when you find yourself doing things like snapping at your spouse for leaving their cup out of the dishwasher when it's no big deal. You know, it's like this random anger that comes up that doesn't make sense. That is the type of anger he's talking about here. And so when this is happening to you, like the most effective thing to do is like acknowledge the emotion, sit with it, honor it without repressing it as the Buddhists do. (laughs) And like, basically don't give it any power. You know, my therapist, a lot of times will talk about me needing to sit with something. And I think for a lot of us that have gone through any type of emotional trauma, it's hard and it's scary. And, you know, my personal journey was when I was young, I couldn't sit with the pain that I was going through often because it would have meant I wouldn't have been able to continue functioning. And a lot of us learned to like box up our emotions that way. And it served a purpose at the time that you were doing it. And I'm not here to like tell you, you should feel bad about it because I think for a lot of us, we were just doing what we needed to do to survive. But on the other side of that,
0: but you, you do... but you can't do it forever.
1: Exactly. On the other side of that, you have to unlearn that because it's not actually helping you be better.
0: Because those boxes aren't going anywhere. And exactly. then you end up with like the Indiana Jones, like the huge warehouse where they send the guide to like disappear. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but at some point, you're gonna have to open up all of those boxes. All yeah. those unpleasant emotions that you have taped up and put in the corner and you put them in the corner and you put yep. them in the corner and then you've got a whole warehouse full of boxes <laughs> suddenly uh...
1: you're an emotional hoarder
0: <laughs> <laughs> right
1: <laughs> yeah and and again it's like I get it I I also learned to do that when I was a kid and so many of us did but at the end of the day I'm here to tell you we're big kids now we're adults like we we get to learn to be better to ourselves. And that's really empowering. And Ingrid Clayton wrote this really great article that I would definitely suggest you check out um, called Beware of Spiritual Bypass. She wrote it in 2011. And in that, she describes spiritual bypassing as a defense mechanism that even though it looks different than what you might expect to see in a defense mechanism, it really serves like the same purpose. It's a way to sort of like deflect having to deal with the things that make you uncomfortable. And obviously like spiritual bypassing is a huge issue, but we really did want to like make sure to talk about it today since we are talking about emotional healing, because my magical practice for me personally has been life-changing, but I really don't think that I would be where I am now without like a really solid history of like going to weekly therapy and like doing that hard work to like unpack some really long standing traumas that had been impacting my life in ways that I wasn't even really aware of and I do want to like acknowledge that it's a huge privilege to be able to get that type of help so please do know that like I do believe you can work through so much with strong shadow work but if you have big trauma to work through like you do really need to try and find a way to see a therapist. Like I just really encourage you to try and find a way to make it work. Like there are a ton of people who have like sliding scale pace, like payments, you know, where it's based on your income, the virtual therapy apps have made it a lot easier for you to find someone who might be a good fit. Like if you're dealing with like trauma related to like your LGBTQ status and you live in a tiny town and there's not someone nearby that works with, you know, LGBTQ issues, These apps can help you connect
0: with people that are further away. Just want to hop in here. And on that note, say that since the pandemic started, my therapist and I have been doing tele-sessions, which were initially supposed to be um, like on a little video app, but we've been doing them on the phone. Yeah. And I would say it has been just as helpful for me to talk to my therapist on the phone And I usually go to like a quiet part of the park or I go out on my patio. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of people think that if you're not going into the office and sitting down with someone face to face, that somehow it's less than. But as someone who did both with the same person due to the pandemic, um, you know, just talking to someone is going to be good for you, regardless of if it's in person or in that sort of more virtual space, be it on the phone, on a video call. And also, you know, I mean, my therapist was very cool about it. And, you know, doing video chat is not for everyone. I mean, I personally find myself staring at my eyebrows.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, which, video but chat yeah, but is I'm not saying, for everyone. <laughs> but I think yeah. the apps are good. And I mean, the yeah. pandemic actually made stuff like that better because now we actually yeah. have systems in place.
1: Yeah. I, I've i been doing video. Um, I do video sessions with my therapist, but on our video sessions, we have an app through the clinic. And so it's mm. like my, my thumbnail is tiny, which is good because I also cannot have myself very visible on a screen or else I'm just going to be distracted by how dumb I think I look the whole time. <laughs> and that's not helpful in therapy, but yeah, I think that doing virtual therapy has made it, I think more accessible to a lot of people. I mostly just want to acknowledge like, You do. You need to do the work, and I understand the intense privilege it is to be able to see a licensed therapist regularly. And I know that that's not possible for everybody, but I do encourage you to try to find a way to talk to someone if you need that help. And I trust that you will all be able to determine that for yourselves. Um, And we've talked about it, you know, before. I think on like the the shadow work episode, but I just, again, wanted to like dig into this term since it does get, it feel. I feel like it gets thrown around so much. And I wanted to make sure that people had like a solid understanding of what it actually means because it is like a term from psychology. Like this is not a new agey, crunchy term. Like this was developed by professional psychologists. Um, and there is a great article on this that I use from Psychology Today. They did um, a really beautiful write-up after John Wellwood died Uh, And they talked about, you know, spiritual bypassing and sort of his legacy around talking about this. Um, And it's really worth checking out if you want to learn more. So that's that. (laughs) Um, But today, I'm really excited to get to talk about Lemon Balm, because she's a good girl. Uh, Lemon Balm, or Melissa Officinalis. And... Fun trivia for everyone. Melissa is actually Greek for honeybee. So it's it's not a surprise that lemon balm is like a big hit with our little like fuzzy butt pollinators that we adore. Uh, and it's sometimes referred to as bee balm. So clearly the connection between the plant and honeybees is super strong. And I've also read that some beekeepers will plant lemon balm near hives to keep the bees coming back. And if a hive has been abandoned, sometimes they could even, like, rub lemon balm on the empty hive to try and, like, lure the bees back. So I think that it's just delightful. I love it honey wor- bees. It would
0: work on me. Same, same. If I was a bee,
1: <laughs> and I, I can't remember if we've already covered this, but the other part of lemon balm's name, officinalis, means like of the workshop, which alludes to the medieval apothecary shop. So that's that's where that comes from. Essentially, it means that it was used medically historically. Um, so early herbalists such as Avicenna coined the term. It makes the heart merry, which is a phrase that you'll see associated with lemon balm a lot. And I just, I love it. It makes the heart merry. It really does. Um, And another famous physician, uh, Paracelsus, claimed that the herb could revitalize every part of the body. And he even had a preparation named Primum Ens Melisse. And it was so well known as a healing herb that even royalty like King Charles V and the Prince of um, Glamorgan drank the tea every single day. And the prince allegedly lived to be 108 years old. So, you know, it, it might have been the lemon balm. Maybe it's magic. Maybe it's lemon balm. Um, <laughs> because of its reputation to strengthen the heart and lift the spirits, it was also a really important ingredient in medieval cordials, also known as elixirs of youth. Um, and lemon balm is, as you might have guessed, lemon scented. <laughs> and it has these really cute like serrated heart shaped leaves. And it is just a very like delightful plant. It's from the mint family. It's native to Europe, North Africa, and West Asia, but it's become naturalized all over the world at this point. And it really isn't
0: an- Europe, North Africa, and West Asia. hmm Those are the exact locations that lavender is from. Yes. Yes, indeed. Is uh, this a Roman bath herb?
1: <laughs> you know, I didn't see that. It, I didn't see that in the research, but not. I didn't look, so it very well might have been. I would I did, have
0: a. I would have a. I would have a lemon balm and lavender bath if I was at a Roman bath.
1: I love. I just. I do love lemon balm, <laughs> and and good news for everyone: it's really easy to grow, and it goes to seed super easy. And I promise, if you start growing it, you will never need to replant it. Uh, it's probably also going to start just like. Popping up in places you didn't actually intend for it to be. So,
0: have fun with that. Yeah, exactly. Connection.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I do, I have lemon balm growing in my herb garden. And I actually, this past weekend, just found some orange balm, which I highly recommend as well. They're both so delicious smelling. So if you really want some lemon balm, I'd say just like plant it. It's, it's super easy to grow from seed, but I would suggest getting, you know, starting from, you know, a start as you, uh, as you figure out your herb gardens, just because when you grow an herb from seed, y'all, I cannot stress this enough. It takes a long ass time for that herb to be ready for you to do anything with. And I'm a little impatient. So I say go from start for it.
0: Like so, cut oh, off like two or three months for me, please.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it is, again, this is something that's just going to save you time. And there's no shame in it. No shame in the start game. I promise once you're growing it, it's going to go to seed all over the fucking place. So you'll be growing it from seed in the future, um, whether or not you want to. <laughs> Uh, The plants can get between 24 and 36 inches tall, so you're going to want to do plenty of pruning. But there are so many uses for the plant, and I promise you'll be able to use it up as fast as you need to prune it. They do well in, in partial shade as well, which is awesome because so many herbs like lavender and rosemary need full sun. But lemon balm is one that's like, Basically, everyone has a spot in their yard or on their patio where you'll be able to make the plant happy. And since it's a mint, it will be fine in just about like any soil, but the standard advice applies like fertile, well draining soil, don't let its feet stay wet. And it is in the mint family, but it doesn't actually spread through underground rhizomes. Um, it gets these like super cute little flowers, which of course our bees love. And those flowers throw seed all over the goddamn place. So, have fun with that. (laughs) Um, One thing though, that's like really important to note with this plant is that it doesn't do as well with drying. This is one that you really do want to use fresh. It loses a lot of its like scent and it's like medicinal properties once it's dried. So, you know, think the ways that you can use this really easily are like adding fresh leaves to like some room temp water and letting it hang out in the sun for a good sun tea you can also add the herbs to a salad they do have kind of a light lemon flavor uh but i do think it's citrusy enough that this would be super bomb on fish tacos oh um, my goodness
0: that <laughs> yeah. I, that actually like in your little your little cabbagey slaw
1: yes right a little bit of lemon balm in there
0: mm. Uh yeah. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah. When it's dried, it just it loses a lot of its flavor, and it's a little sad. And again, I promise, once you plant it, you'll always have it. So just eh, just go for it. But with that in mind, I really wouldn't suggest sourcing this one online if you can avoid it. Um, but this plant really does have like a ton of medicinal uses. So again, Nick and I are still not doctors, so this is still not medical advice. Please talk to your physicians. You know the spiel. And there are a couple of big contraindications that I do want to flag, like right off the bat. Uh, Lemon balm might cause too much drowsiness if you uh, combine it with medications that are used during and after surgery. So, you really should stop using lemon balm totally for at least two weeks before a scheduled surgery. And there's also some concern that lemon balm can change your thyroid function and actually reduce thyroid hormone levels and interfere with thyroid hormone replacement therapy. So, if you're going through thyroid disease, lemon balm might be one you need to avoid. But again, Talk to your doctors about it. They're going to know best. They know your full medical picture, which we do not. Um, There is so much goodness here, though. Like lemon balm has traditionally been used to like improve mood and cognitive function, which is what makes them, you know, a perfect fit for today's episode. And it's also a great, But gentle sedative. So you can include it in your sleepy time tea blends. Like other mints, it's also going to help like the digestion as well. So it really is like the perfect addition to an after dinner tea if you've maybe had like a really big meal and you want to unwind some before bed. And there are a lot of studies that suggest that antivirals in this plant can help with the herpes virus. So you can rub a tincture of lemon balm on a cold sore to help speed up the healing process. And from what I could see most people seem to use the essential oil in this preparation um and it it is worth noting that this is likely a property of the entire lamiaceae family but lemon balm is just the herb that has been studied the most for the antiviral function specifically
0: and you know I will say I get cold sores uh spoiler alert you know <laughs> but I think I think there's a lot of stigma that has appeared in the last couple of years around having herpes yeah, And I'll tell you, I have I've had cold sores since I was a little kid. It's not like a sexual thing that happened. No. It's like
1: God, it's, something and, yeah. I got
0: from my family. And yeah. they suck. And I had never heard of this before. But I will be trying this. Like, this is one that I will be trying. Because yeah. 30% of people get cold yeah. sores. It's, I, it's it not would, a small it would, bit. It would stand to reason that... Around one third of the people listening to this are getting cold sores.
1: Yeah, lemon balm. Try lemon balm. Um, it's also speaking of the majority of our listeners being female, which we weren't, but I'm going to say it. uh, It's also really great for combating menstrual cramps. So keep that one in mind. It can also be used to bring on a late period. So pregnant women, you also might want to avoid this one. But with that in mind, I think a tea of raspberry leaf and lemon balm would be like an amazing tea for shark week, which for me is coming like any day now. So I'm getting ready for this tea because I get I get really bad cramps. And just on that note, I cannot recommend raspberry leaf tea enough. Like it actually calms my uterus down faster than any like ibuprofen or anything I've ever taken. Um, but yeah, a tea of like raspberry leaf and lemon balm would be like, for that time of the month. (laughs) Exactly. And it has been used, um, it's been used in a few studies for like combating like minor depression. It's really worth noting though, that these studies were on minor, not moderate or severe depression. And it is pretty promising on minor depression. But again, this is something that I think when you're talking about clinically diagnosed depression, that's something that, you know, herbals, Our herbalism is amazing and can be very supportive, but you do need to work with your doctor because, especially with mental health medication, there are so many like intricacies and contraindications that you just really want to be careful because your brain health is very, very important.
0: I, you Uh, know, I do love that about our podcast, though. It's like we're telling you good information about herbs that you can use but we're not like, this is going to cure your depression, you guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, man, I tell you, if there was a plant that could cure it, I i mean, I'm as like conspiracy theory loving as the rest of people, but I guarantee you that it, people would know. It would not be a well-kept secret if there was no. a plant you could eat that would cure your depression. Like, <laughs> let's let's be real. Um, but on the magic. So this is a feminine plant associated with... The moon, our sweet Ooh. baby goddess moon and Venus, the element water and the sign of cancer, which I think all very much lend itself to like that healing vibe that we're getting from it. So, you know, it it really is like a heavy hitter for spells around healing. Um You can add it to spells, sachets, incense for this purpose. But I wanted to talk about in entering Hecate's garden, they go into detail about creating a botanical poppet. And I think this would be really great for like emotional healing type of work. So the poppet here is going to serve as like a servitor spirit that is purely drawn from the diva or the archetypal soul of the plant. So for this purpose, you're going to choose a plant that speaks to you or represents the energy you wish to control. So I think that doing a poppet with lemon balm to use when you're doing rituals around emotional healing is just such a great, to me, it feels like a a really logical choice. Um, So when you're making your poppet, you do need to decide if it's going to be like a constant companion, like one that you go back to and you work with multiple times, or if it's for like use on only very specific occasions. So, you know, some people will have like an all purpose one and one that you use for certain spell wo- work or even just for like a single spell. Um, here, if you're doing it with lemon balm around emotional healing, I think this would probably be kind of like a specific purpose poppet. Um, So you're going to stuff your chosen fabric. You know, you can write whatever little incantations on the inside of the fabric you can do your, you know, you can do like whatever type of runes or sigils. I can't recommend enough if you if you don't have them, picking up some like oil pastels are really great for doing that type of marking on like fabrics. I also use it to do the runes above my doors of my house. Um, Cuz it
0: lasts a little longer than chalk because it's waterproof, yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um and you can find them in lots of colors <laughs> that are very vibrant. But so you'll Pick your fabric, do whatever you want to on the fabric, and then you're going to, you know, put the plant material in there. And as you stuff it, you're going to want to be animating it into a conscious and sold spirit. But you'll want to make sure that the spirit is lacking free will. I mean, unless you're wanting this new creation to sort of act independently, but I'm assuming most people won't. So as you're working, you know, you're going to envision the plant matter combining to form a living entity, merging with the fabric and any of the symbols you've included, and you want to be the director throughout this process so the poppet doesn't become too willful for you to manage. And then once it's finished, you're going to command the poppet to perform its function. And if you're going to use it on a recurring basis, like on, you know, multiple different spells, or like maybe you're having the poppet oversee this spell that Nick shared earlier, you know, throughout Multiple lunar phases. You need to regularly remind the puppet of its purpose, <laughs> um, because you are basically creating like a little living entity. And then once once its purpose has been finished, you know um, you're going to want to destroy it. <laughs> so if you ever have an issue with the puppet becoming too willful. By the way, burning it is your best bet for destroying it. Um, But otherwise, you know, you can disassemble the poppet, you know, sprinkle the herbs uh, where they'll fall and then, you know, either like wash the fabric to reuse it or recycle it, however you go about it. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to kind of like go through a little like how to on creating a poppet. Um, because I think they're really cute and I don't use them enough, but every time I read about them, I'm like, holy shit, I really should make more poppets.
0: And it's funny, you know, because it's like doing the research for this podcast too. It's like, I always come across poppet spells.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're very like,
0: where I'm like this, it's like not my flavor, but I'm like, there is just so much out there to be done with yeah. working with little puppets.
1: Yeah, and totally. And some of
0: them are very cute, too.
1: Yeah, some people get real cute with their puppets. And I think it's if like you're I someone... wish I was
0: crafty like that. Like, maybe that's why I don't do the puppet thing so much, <laughs> but it's like because it's like mine would look like a monster.
1: <laughs> but maybe that would be great
0: for this purpose. Tr- true, true, true. Like, <laughs> like something kind of protective. Yeah. But it's like some of them are very, like, very well done and it's like wow like i would keep that but you're not supposed to keep it
1: (laughs) right you're like oh but this isn't meant to be kept forever um right and they're also i think really great for people that like to work with plants because you can Mm -hmm. stuff them with plant matter um but for for a very easy daily spell you know even if you were like going through this process that for this you know spell that nick was talking about Um, You can carry lemon balm with you daily to help ease anxiety and bring balance and calm. And this is where it's great to have some fresh lemon balm growing because it's like on your way out the door, grab a couple of leaves, rub them in between your fingers to really get those oils expressed and just like huff that delicious lemon scent. And that alone, I promise you, is going to help you chill out a little bit. Like it's, it's such a beautiful smell and there's something really... Therapeutic about being able to focus on something other than your racing thoughts when you're dealing with like panic and anxiety. And for me personally, I find that herbs that have strong scents can be really useful for that. Um, I, I
0: I I do the same thing, and like I know that's not the focus of this segment, but I do the same thing with lemongrass so much.
1: Yeah, I know you love lemongrass, and I love how much you love lemongrass.
0: It's my favorite.
1: I know it's it's very good. It's very good. Um, but yeah, so that's, but that's it's that lemon strong
0: crust. smell because like lemon yeah. balm has that strong citrusy smell. And yeah. I dare you to not have your mood lifted by a strong citrusy smell.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm wearing a grapefruit body butter right now because I was feeling a little down in the dumps today. So, you know, we all have our sense and I think citrus is such a mood lifter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not a huge section on lemon balm because it is a pretty, like, straightforward plant, but I do love it so much. It's one of those, like, you know, small but mighty. <laughs> like, lemon but, balm but also, is I, amazing.
0: I love that it was associated with, like, the moon and Cancer and, like, like this is unofficially the Mother's Day episode. And it's, like, those are just such, like, mom Oh, things. yeah. Like, mom placements.
1: Cancer's the mommy of the astrological calendar.
0: So it's like Lumenbalm has that mom energy. It's like, take oh, care yeah. of you.
1: 100%. 100%. Um, okay, so I'm very, very excited for this one, though.
0: This is like the highlight of this episode, <laughs> I swear.
1: I was really stoked to do this. So today's deity profile, because I'm, I'm covering Chiron. So Chiron was the most famous centaur in Greek mythology. And he was famous for being an amazing teacher and healer. And in Greek mythology, if you're not familiar, centaurs are seen as being like really savage and terrifying, but Chiron wasn't at all. He was like gentle and well-educated and well-loved, but he was also represented different physically from other centaurs. So what you're most likely familiar with is, you know, a centaur that has front and back legs of a horse and just the upper body of a man, but Chiron actually had the back legs of a horse, but the front legs of a man in Greek representation, which I think is really interesting. Um, And Chiron was sired by the Titan Cronus when he had taken the form of a horse and impregnated a nymph. And so the Titan relation could possibly be part of why Chiron had human front legs. Um, But it is just important to note that he had a very different lineage from other centaurs. So soon after giving birth to Chiron though, um, the nymph abandoned her child out of shame and disgust. And Chiron, who was now an orphan was actually found by the God Apollo who took him under his wing and taught him the arts of music and you know, the lyre and how to be a great archer and medicine and prophecy and his twin sister Artemis, Uh, taught Chiron all about being like a badass hunter and you know his unique like peaceful character and like his kindness and his intelligence are often attributed to this relationship to Apollo and Artemis who basically served as like stand-in kind of like godparents Uh, (laughs) I'll see myself out
0: so Um, are you my dad
1: (laughs) I'm everyone's dad hello (laughs)
0: Uh, Chiron
1: did become a master, though, of several different academic fields. And, and those included like medicine, music, prophecy, hunting. And some people even say that Chiron was the inventor of medicine and surgery. And he was also like an exceptional healer, astrologer, and a very respected oracle. But the most important thing that people know about Chiron is that he was you know, a highly revered teacher and a tutor. And among his pupils were some of the most important culture heroes from Greek mythology, um, including Asclepius, who became known as the Greek god of medicine, Um, Ajax, Theseus, Achilles, Jason the Argonaut, Heracles, who becomes Hercules in the Roman tradition, just to like flag who that is for you. And in one Byzantine tradition, he even taught Dionysus. So, mm. you know, yeah, his like his teaching was the thing that he was renowned Imagine for
0: being in that class.
1: Oh my God, that would have been so fucking
0: lit. That'd be Um, a good anime. I'm just saying, (laughs) that'd be a really cool anime.
1: Yeah, someone make it. We're not anime (laughs) makers. No, uh, it's just an idea to put out
0: there. (laughs) But yes.
1: Um, But, you know, Chiron was said to be immortal. He was fathered by a Titan, but he still died. And this is kind of an important part of his story, his death story. And there are two versions of it, but I'm going with the one that I feel in my gut makes the most sense. Do your own research if if you want to find out more. Um so in this story Heracles was being hosted by another civilized centaur named Pholus and when the op- when opening a jar of wine the wine at- uh, attracted the savage centaurs to Pholus's cave. And when that happens, Heracles was forced to fight the wild centaurs off. And in the end, you know, he ended up unleashing so many of his poisoned arrows. And these arrows were dipped in the poison um, of the hydra. And one of these arrows passed through the arm of a centaur, a latest, and entered the knee of Chiron. So he took an arrow to the knee. <laughs> um, right.
0: Right. A and Hydra poisoned arrow. A,
1: a Hydra poisoned arrow, and the poison of the Hydra was sufficient to kill any mortal. And one of these arrowheads did accidentally cause the death of Pholus, that other, the host centaur. But because Chiron wasn't mortal, he didn't die, but he was racked with unbearable pain. And even with Heracles helping, Chiron wasn't able to cure himself. And so for nine days he suffered in this like agonizing pain. And he realized there was only one way to end this. And so Chiron asked Zeus to remove his immortality and Zeus in a moment of pity for his relative did so. And then Chiron ultimately died from his wound and was subsequently placed among the stars as the constellation Centaurus. And I think now that we've talked a bit about him, you can really see how Chiron could be incredibly useful to your magical practice. Um, I like the idea of thinking about Chiron's agonizing wounds symbolizing the transformative power of illness and affliction and trauma, because through you know pain and suffering, our personal wounds, whether they're psychic or physical, can be transformed into sources of like amazing moral and spiritual strength. So Chiron is really great to call upon when you're doing magic related to healing your own emotional wounds. But a lot of you probably know about Chiron as the namesake of a comet um, in our solar system that has a very unusual orbit, and it wasn't discovered until 1977. And This is a placement that I feel like is often overlooked and undervalued in astrology. Um, But Chiron in the natal chart points directly to the areas in which you have been wounded. And that can be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you name it. But there's like a really important complementary aspect to this placement, which shows not only the nature of the wound, but the way in which the experience with wounding can make you capable of using that healing for others. So, you know, I think we know that the things that have hurt us can also make us more empathetic and we can transform that pain into something positive that serves the greater good, as long as you don't try to get there through spiritual bypassing. So... (laughs) I'm like laying it all out for y'all here like my Chiron for example is in Leo and I really liked the reading that I found on witchesandpagans.com for this Um, and so it says Leos like to shine in the world and have their talents recognized with Chiron here the native may feel that his or her talents have been overlooked or squelched Creativity may have been discouraged in favor of more practical skills. This placement reminds me of the character Neil Perry in Dead Poet Society, who longs to be an actor but is forbidden to pursue such frivolity by his parents. The crushing of creative dreams can be soul killing, but if the native learns to pursue his or her inner urges in spite of oppression, they can then begin to uplift others to find their own creative gifts, be childlike, and learn to play without self judgment. So, anyone who knows me, um, Well, that's very spot on and kind of rude, Uh, (laughs) but I think it's just, I wanted to like share this very openly because I think it's something that I would encourage people to look into because, you know, Nick looked at his and was like, holy shit, very called out. My partner, Eric, was the same way. They had a very similar experience. We read their Chiron placement and what it meant. And it was like ouch, but also accurate. Um, so you know, I just invite you all like go forth and heal yourself magically, astrologically, and therapeutically, potentially pharmaceutically. Um, but yeah, so I used uh witchesandpagans.com, the great the mighty Wikipedia, greekmythology.com, and various YouTube polls to do the research for this segment.
0: Wow. And and again, you know, it's like when I looked up my Chiron placement, I was like, ouchie, ouchie, ouchie. That's so true. Leave me alone. You shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> you should not have said that. Now I'm going to go cry. Exactly.
1: Um. <laughs> right. It's one of those things where I'm like, it's so rude. But that's it's like, as soon as you want to like pout about it, you're like, oh, shit, it's so bright, though.
0: It's true, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You don't get upset at things that miss the mark.
0: Yeah, it's like you're not mad because it's wrong. You're mad because it's so right. <laughs> and it's like, I feel like a lot of times with astrological placements, you're like, that doesn't resonate. That's not me. But with this one, I was like, ouchie, ouchie, ouchie. I need a little band-aid, actually, Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I'm I'm wounded by that description.
1: Yes. I <laughs> felt like it, I felt like I took an arrow to the knee of my heart.
0: <laughs> right um so look it up uh, actually you know i think a fun prompt for anyone who is interested is you know look at your personal birth chart on like astro charts or something like maybe steering clear of um co because i don't think CoStar even does comments and no. asteroids but yeah i don't uh, think look they on do astro this. charts let us know and then you know look into your own chiron placement and let us know if you felt very called out when you looked it up
1: yeah because um, i felt attacked so Yeah,
0: I think we, I, you know, we we all did. Because uh, I, I also, I, I looked at my roommate's Chiron placement, actually, and um, he was like, what? Rude. <laughs> uh, but no, okay, so that brings us, we're very, very close to the bitter end here.
1: I know. Um, I'm excited about this tarot scope
0: too, though. So um, I do want to say, before I get into it, I'm trying to figure out, like, something interesting to do with the backgrounds on the pictures. So what did you think of, like, that on the book?
1: I liked it. I thought it was cute.
0: Okay, well, that's the one that's going to go on Instagram, because I've got my little my little Tokyo guidebook. And I thought, you know, I just like to play around with the backgrounds sometimes. Um, anywho, so this week, for Gemini, we had... Which is funny, because this is kind of like the mother wound episode. My mom is a Gemini. So when... I always like to think of the people with the sign that I'm doing the tarot scope for that I personally know. So, you know, it's like I get Gemini and I'm thinking about my mom.
1: Yeah. Because that's
0: like, that's like the, per, the number one Gemini I personally know. Um, but so, and I'll tell you, you know, I had this dream last night that my mom had gotten remarried. And I don't think that has anything to do with this tarot scope, but we'll see. Interesting,
1: um, right? <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, oh, okay. So, anywho, for our lovely Gemini's, I drew the Fool upright, and so I really actually love this card for y'all because it's all about like a fresh start, a new beginning. Um, it's so if you're familiar with like the the art that's usually on the Fool card. It's um sort of a young man stepping off of a cliff, basically. And while he is doing so, stepping off into the unknown, he's got his head in the clouds, right? He, like he's looking up at the sky. And that's very much you right now, Gemini. You're stepping into something that's completely new. And this is an a, a sort of an innocent endeavor, though, because we do have it in the upright position. So... The good news here is that none of the negative implications of The Fool are coming with this reading. It's upright, it's innocent, uh, it's it's not ill-fated, so to speak. Um, so I think you can maybe take a little comfort in the fact that what you're doing has goodness attached to it. Um, and, you know, so in in the artwork, you have the The Fool sort of stepping off the cliff into the unknown looking towards the sky because they don't they're not worried and and so that should be you right now like yes you are about to tumble off the cliff into a whole bunch of god knows what but it's okay uh this new thing this new thing that you're about to just fall and it's like you're just gonna fall into it is good and it's gonna be good for you uh and you know you don't want to let you don't want to second guess yourself too much. Like you want to be the fool. Like you want to be the fool at this time and take that step because it's going to lead you somewhere wonderful. It's Um, Like a
1: a trust fall with the
0: universe. It's a trust fall with the universe. So as stressful as that probably is, I mean, Lord knows I, I stress out with things like that. Uh, Do it. That's the, that's the message.
1: And I think like, Geminis are brave enough to do it, too. I think
0: Geminis would do it. I Yeah. Mean, uh, they don't need uh, us think... telling
1: them, but we're telling them. They
0: We're telling them. They're like, no, because it's like, I can just imagine Gemini being like, I already did it. What are you talking about?
1: They're like, I'm about halfway down this fall from the cliff. So <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm about to hit the ground. Like, <laughs> Bye. No, but it's like, really, though, uh, yeah. do it, though. If you're questioning it, don't question it. Do it. It's the upright fool, uh, which means kind of paradoxically, I feel like the upright fool means that this is not a foolish thing to do. When you get it reversed, it's like you're, you know, you're making a mistake, but you're good. You're going to be OK. And this might even be good for you. Great news. It's great news. It's great news for you, Geminis. Ugh. Um and do it. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, we already did. <laughs> so right. you don't need to hear this. But um but yeah, I was I was kinda hoping it would be for cancer this week, but then I was like, the random number generator has spoken. So
1: Right. The random gen the random number generator knows what's up. Um so, well, that is the bitter end.
0: It is. And so I would say what we're at wands and fronds pod at gmail.com. Yep. Um at once and fronds pod on Instagram. Give us an ad, give us a follow. Of course, download the episode. Give us some stars. Hit us up for our address. Send us some rubies. Um send us your Chiron placement. If you feel yes. comfortable. If you feel comfortable, if because you,
1: I would love to know.
0: If I told you're nasty, you all mine. If you're nasty, I want to know.
1: I showed um, you mine. Show me yours.
0: Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But also, I do want to do a little shout out um, since it's on this recording day, not the release day, but it's Ben's birthday today. So happy birthday, Ben.
1: (gasps) Oh, my God. Ben has the same birthday as my brother-in-law.
0: Well, how about that? that?
1: I love that. Well, happiest of birthdays to you, darling Ben. Would not be possible to do this without you. Um, and so
0: for those of you who don't know, Ben um has the sound set up where I come and, and record every week and uh very graciously let me skip doing this on Mother's Day because I had to work brunch. And so we're here doing it um on a Monday night on their birthday, and we're here.
1: <laughs> so happy birthday. Ben Ben is the patron saint of this podcast, but Ben
0: is really the patron saint of this podcast. But um to all of the <laughs> all of the witches and bitches out there dealing with their mother wound, I say blessed bee bitches.
1: Blessed bee bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. (laughs) I'm everyone's dad. Hello.